When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Passion, blood, sweat, tears. No, it's not Andy Tate, but we saw some pride from the Manchester United players in a 3-2 comeback win against Newcastle on Saturday evening. Friday evening, saw reports come out that Jose Mourinho was set to be sacked regardless of the result against Newcastle. That hasn't happened, obviously, but when United went two goals down within the opening 10 minutes, it looked very possible. It was an abysmal start, but United scored three times in the last 25 minutes through Mata, Martial and Sanchez. And if the, if the conceding two goals within the space of three minutes was traditional of this season, the comeback was more traditional of one of Fergie's United teams. We saw quality, determination, pride, effort. And the fact that we haven't seen that all season is obviously a negative, but it's a lifeline for Mourinho. So we're talking that. And as always, we have our regular youth and loan roundup as we head into the international break. Jack, it's, it's a difficult match to react to because, first of all, one absolutely shocking start and the fact that that shocking start was so unsurprising is sad second though uh, an amazing final half hour and for probably the first time possibly in 2018 we've seen the players the manager and the fans all come together as one and that's that's quite nice without a doubt the most united that we've seen the 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 players fans and manager I'd say like like you said probably in in all of, of 2018, I mean the first the first 15 minutes were atrocious. <laughs> I mean, watching the game, you just almost couldn't believe what you were watching because there had been so much talk about a reaction and coming off so much bad form. It was almost inconceivable that the same thing could happen again, especially against a team that are yet to win a game this season. They hadn't even led at any point during any game until 10 minutes in against us at Old Trafford. And then after that, to be fair to both the players and, and Mourinho, it was a brilliant fight back. I thought even before we got the first goal in the second half, we we came out and showed a lot of fight and a lot of spirit to not just sort of capitulate. Not that Newcastle were, were threatening us that much, but 
you could tell it was a very hostile atmosphere. The players understood the situation that they were in and how sort of precarious that was in terms of the support from the fans and the way that the season might end up. And I think the players reacted to that so well in, in the best possible way. And not only did we get the win, we actually played some really good football during the second half as well. You know, it, this wasn't like the Crystal Palace game where we came back from 2-0 last season where we didn't actually play that well in the second half, but we were just clinical with the sort of scrappy chances that we created. This was us actually playing some very, very good football for a long time and really carving Newcastle open on a lot of occasions. And it was Dubravka that was keeping them in the game. Um, obviously the finish was great and I think Alexis getting the final goal was probably really just the icing on the cake of just to sort of signal the massive turnaround from uh, from the first half. Alexis getting that final goal was one of a, a number of things which we could look back on in a few months and think that was the point it changed. And I guess the key thing about this game is that it does become that turning point and the worry is that I, I would think it's 80% likely that it won't be the turning point and things after the international break won't suddenly be better. It's a strange, for a comeback victory of that style where we scored three goals after the 70th minute, you would usually be buzzing for like most of the, the, the few days after it. And especially going international break, you'd be watching the highlights back during the international break. And the feeling that night was great. Saturday evening kickoff, Saturday night, you felt great you were like what a win what a victory but then even half a day later even on Sunday morning you're reflecting back and because of how bad the start was and just the mood around United this season even a comeback victory of that style there are reservations about kind of your attitude towards it so I was th- I was thinking back to it and worrying about the fact that the first 45 minutes were so bad worrying about the defensive mistakes worrying about the fact that when we come back after the international break we're not going to be able to start a game with Paul Pogba in central defence and Fellaini above <laughs> him it's there are still so many things wrong with what should be and what would be in any other period an amazing victory that you dwell on happily for the next week or so yeah and there's just no no confidence really from anyone that we're actually going to use this as a, as a turning point because we've had so many performances under Mourinho where it does seem like a turning point where we've all said, okay, this is the moment where we're now going to go on a run. You know, we're going to sustain some good form. We're going to put on a put on a on a challenge to City. There is, there's been so many examples of games like that that really do seem like a time when we're now ready to sort of turn the corner, and it just hasn't happened. We've just kind of regressed back to this pre-average side for a lot of the time. And I wish I could be more hopeful about this about this one because this is exactly that kind of game that does give you a lot of momentum and it does sort of turn turn your season around. But I just don't have any confidence in, in this team at the moment to actually end up, to actually go out and do yeah. that. That might be more on me being a cynical fan, but it's pretty difficult to but see this team I, reacting. I, I don't think either of us can be... I, I don't think either of us would describe the other one as as being a pessimist. I think we're both quite optimistic United fans in the way that when Louis van Gaal was in charge of United, I remember we were saying things will get better for months and months on end until obviously he was sacked and then Mourinho came in. Um, we started in January 2016 and from that point until he was sacked, I'm, we were kind of backing him to turn it around at United. The same has been true of Mourinho. Only a couple of weeks ago we said... We were for the first time we were leaning towards the fact that it would kind of be a relief if Mourinho had gone, but that feeling has kind of been muted slightly even by this victory, but also, also by not it's it's not the victory, it's the 
the manner of the victory and the way that Mourinho kind of embraced the, the he Mourinho was passionate on the touchline that kind of fed itself to the players they were passionate on the pitch there was there was clearly something that Mourinho did a, either either at half time in what he said or with his tactical tweaks that made a difference and we haven't seen that a lot from him this season I think I think that the other difference was just the way that the players reacted to whatever he said but it wasn't it wasn't just the way they played is that every every single person on that team you could see how much they yeah. were fighting Maybe maybe it wasn't for Mourinho. Maybe it was for for each other and for the fans. But whatever it was, they really dug in and fought for for each other and really really tried to to get back into that but game. Luke Shaw came out after the game and said Mourinho had given the players a kick up the arse, and then Mourinho came out and said that they'd spoken about tactics for a couple of minutes and then spoken for I think he said eight minutes or so about kind of non football stuff. Um, and more about attitude and mentality and, and and what it meant. He didn't say that specifically, but you can only assume that's what he meant. Um, and various players came out afterwards and said that the halftime team talk had had an impact and it wasn't kind of your standard thing of you're playing terribly, you need to improve it, this is what we're going to do to improve it. It was more, it, it was a different kind of, a different side of Mourinho and a different kind of technique. And that's certainly a positive. The, the th- the reason there are reservations about even a 3-2 combat win is because firstly we conceded two in three minutes for the third time this season this isn't some kind of like anomaly no top side in European football concedes two in three minutes consistently throughout a season no yeah. mid-table side in the Premier League does that we've done it against Brighton in a 3-2 defeat where we kind of almost somehow got something even though we were terrible throughout the game and didn't even deserve a 3-2 loss we did it against Spurs in a 3-0 defeat and then we did it against Newcastle in the opening 10 minutes. And United had never conceded twice in the opening 10 minutes at Old Trafford in Premier League history before that. And it, this team just has lacks composure and concentration so much. It's it, it's astonishing. And so that's one reservation, but also the fact that um, Newcastle are second from bottom in the table and, and have two points before this game in the season. And had scored four goals in seven Premier League games before this, and suddenly could score two in two in ten minutes, and th- yeah. that's why there are reservations. But uh, uh, we just have to hope that maybe it will be a turning point. The the other thing that that really shocked me, and I, I think it's a big reason why we've conceded two goals in three minutes three times already this season. I've never seen a team react as badly to a goal as we did after Newcastle's second goal. I obviously don't know what every single player was doing. It's only from who, who the cameras pan to. But every single player that the camera panned to after that second goal, look like they're about to start crying. Chris Smalling and Eric Bailly in, in, in particular were just kind of stood there motionless, looking off into the sky. And, and you know, I, I get you just conceded, conceded a goal. It's a pretty big like crisis moment for the team. But especially especially in the case of Smallin, who is now at this point one of our more senior players, that is not the way that you react to a goal going in. The way you react to a goal is by trying to galvanise everyone and try and get get everyone to understand that there's 80 minutes left in the game and there is a lot of time left. And to Mourinho's credit, he was the only one who was saying, get the ball down, let's go, get, get back in the game, let's play. Every single player that it panned to just looked completely shell-shocked by everything. And I know why they were, but well, that's that goes, not... That goes back to the point about a lack of leaders in the yeah, United exactly. team. Yeah, exactly. There just isn't anyone there. And, and Smalling has been captain before, Pogba's been captain before, Valencia's been captain, Young's been captain, De Gea's been captain. And yet, yeah, Valencia wasn't on the pitch, fine. 
all the other four were on the pitch and they were all doing nothing about it, saying nothing, doing nothing. They don't lead by example and they don't lead vocally yeah, either. Yeah, it's, and you it's think, no well, surprise. Well, it's I no do? surprise we've conceded goals in quick succession so often because we just have no one to kind of organise the team and steady the ship after we after we concede a goal. Also, the fact that Nemanja Matic was by far and away the worst player on the pitch on, on Saturday. Uh, and yeah. Eric Bay was, was taken off after 17 touches and then given a, a huge hug from Mourinho, which was a, a kind of classic Mourinho of... of I, I don't know how to describe it, but people will know what I'm talking about when I say classic Mourinho. But Matic was, was awful. And the worrying thing is that the kind of stalwarts of, of, of Mourinho's team, the, the players that he relies upon most, praises most and, and talks about most, Nemanja Matic, Scott McTominay, Ashley Young, Antonio Valencia, Chris Smalling, these are the players who perform the worst. It's not that... He, he clearly doesn't like them because of their performances because Matic was atrocious again against Newcastle and it's not the first time that we could say that about his performances this season. And McTominay is effectively being thrown under the bus by kind of sh- shunting him into centre back every so often, um, and then take him off at half time. And you have to feel for McTominay; he's kind of being he's being used as a pawn by Mourinho to a kind of I think partly to get fans on his side. The fact he's using a youth player, b to make a point to the board about how we should assign some centre backs in summer, and c a point to the squad that this person who works hard in training and doesn't say anything in the media is is I prefer him to you, but. You do feel sorry for him because he's he's being made to look a fool by where he's being played on the pitch. But Matic is 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 meant to be this kind of experienced senior figure in midfield, and he's not playing well, and he's doing nothing in terms of being a leader. And yet he is Mourinho's kind of most trusted figure within that United dressing room. Yeah, and McTominay's been used for a pawn to prove a point to so many people, except Matic, who might be the one person who deserves to have a point point proved to him. You know, and. This isn't the first time Matic has been poor this season. He'd actually been a little bit better in a few games more recently, but that performance on Saturday was just a complete nightmare. I mean, what was going through his head for the first goal, I have absolutely no idea. Letting Perez just stand in about 20 yards of space. It's just the classic sort of centre-forward, attacking midfielder um, position in between the midfield and defence. And he just completely let him run from... Not even from any situation where he should be out of position, from a throw-in where you have time to set up and get all There's a great picture, or, or I shouldn't really say great, there's a, a horrifying picture of um, Matic, McTominay, Pogba and Shaw, all within probably 15 yards of each other, on kind of... So Shaw's just behind the halfway line, the other three are just in front of the halfway line, all within maybe five metres away from the left uh, touchline. Marking Newcastle players, so they must have been told to mark them. Um, but behind them is this huge open space. Yeah. And you're thinking, we are playing three midfielders. One of them cost 89 million and is on the nom- is a nominee for the Ballon d'Or. One cost 40 million from the Premier League champions and is Mourinho's most trusted player. And to be fair, one is a young up-and-coming midfielder who isn't meant to be amazing, but could be solid. But you are left thinking, what is going on? And that that sort that goes back to the the point about leadership. It's what if you, even if you've been told to man mark someone, whatever, you have to take a bit of leadership on the pitch yourself and think, why is there this huge space? And the first goal, we talk about the the great attitude and effort in the second half, but the first goal was ah, oh, 
just just running through or past three players unchallenged. Ashley Young kind of just doing nothing to stop him. Chris Smalling doing nothing to stop him. Eric Bailly the same. And you just thought it's so indicative of of, of United's problems. It's a lack of effort, a lack of just a lack of of common sense and thinking on the pitch. Yeah. But I mean, the other thing that the other thing should... that got me about that goal was that you know obviously Matic and and rightly so bore the brunt of of the criticism for it. And he deserved to because his positioning was terrible. But the part Ashley Young played in that goal should not be overlooked. The one thing that you know about Kennedy whenever you play him is that he wants to be on his left foot all the time. And so as Young comes over, all he had to do was force Kennedy down the, down the line on his right foot and trust that De Gea will make a save, uh, which he almost definitely would. Because the angle he would have been sending Kennedy would have been impossible to send it across De Gea from there. But instead... Ashley Young somehow decides to try and block Kennedy going down the line and then lets him cut inside onto his left foot and can't and can't get uh, into a position to make a block. It was just ridiculous. And it goes to this whole thing of just a lack of leadership and a lack of sort of prior thinking about everything because Ashley Young would have known that he was playing right back at least a few hours before the game, if not the day before. And in that time, that is more than enough to think, OK, who am I going to be marking? Oh, it's Kennedy. He always likes to cut inside onto his left foot. I could tell you that as someone who has ne- never been a manager or a player of anywhere near Ashley Young or Jose Mourinho's quality. It was obvious to everyone watching, and yet nothing was done about it. Still, but it's not even the fact that Kennedy likes to cut in. I was I did a training session on this with the the under seven team I coached on Saturday before the United game, where I was teaching them to push a player wide rather than letting them come inside and have a better angle to shoot from. It, it's something you learn when you're, when you're six or seven. Um, and yeah. th- this is, for me, kind of a, a, a bog-standard like Sunday league youth football coach, not from Jose Mourinho, not from Ashley Young, who is a, an experienced uh, player, even if not an experienced defender, which which you could argue he is now. Um after match day eight last season, United had conceded two goals and had a goal difference of, of plus 19. And after match day eight this season, they've conceded 14 and have a goal difference of plus one. And in the whole of last season, we conceded 28. So we've already conceded half of the goals we conceded last season and it, we've just got to the October international break. It it kind of does sum up where our problems are. But the odd thing is, is that we it's it's not like we've been weakened in defence. If anything, you could argue, we, even though we didn't sign in one, we've got stronger because of Shaw coming back. Yeah, I've, yeah, I would say so. But I, I mean, the fact that we blame Marino for a lot of things, but a lot we've never really blamed him for the defensive issues this season. We've blamed him on individual mistakes, on lack of quality, on Edward would not signing centre backs, and those three things are all all to blame, definitely. But also. There must be something going wrong from a from a manager's point of view in the fact that we have strengthened our defence with a better fullback on the left with Luke Shaw, and more options on the right with Diego Dallo, who has who has been a, a looked like a great signing so far uh, at nineteen. Um, so we've strengthened our defence, yet got much worse at defending. And maybe that's down to a change of system. I think it, it was mainly down to constantly chopping and changing the formation and the personnel within the team. But that is where it's the manager's fault. And I don't think that's something we've blamed Mourinho for this season. And we probably should, because it's no one else's fault. Yes, the defenders aren't good enough, but they weren't good enough last season either. And Luke Shaw's better than Ashley Young at left-back. Um, and I'd say, 
he's definitely better attacking wise and defensively Shaw has a lot of things to work on but so does Ashley Young as, as we saw against Newcastle <laughs> but yeah that's that's kind I think, of I think, I think the system is like the formation is the most important aspect of it because yeah we don't have the best the best players in defense not at all we've said that we both said we should have signed a center back and we've rightly cr- criticized Ed Woodward a lot for that having said that Constantly chopping and changing, whether we're playing three at the back, four at the back, five at the back. McTominay, who's a midfielder playing centre-back, when we have three or four perfectly decent centre-back options in the squad, it just doesn't really make any sense. And we've, we've said in the uh, in the past how important it is to build partnerships as, as a centre-back. And he's not letting any p- partnership flow, because as soon as anyone makes one mistake, they get dropped for three or four games. This was the first time, I'm pretty sure the first time Bailly started since his mistake against Brighton, at least in the Premier League. In the, Just in the last two or three games, I think we've had a different centre-back partnership in every single one. So it's not helping the situation at all. Mourinho, who sort of made, not not made his reputation purely based on defensive football, but that was what sort of his hallmark, being very, very defensively solid and just get have getting enough from his attack to be able to win games. And... Yet now it seems like he's completely unca- incapable of of actually improving any any defender and implementing a system that works. I understand that you know while you're trying to create a new system, if you stick with it every week, things might go wrong while people are getting used to it, and that's fine. It's going to happen. But at no point, probably until right now, has Mourinho been under so much pressure at United that fans and the board wouldn't have accepted a few bad results if it meant that in the long term we had a stable system and a stable formation in defence. It's never been the case that he needed to win every single game right from the off. And so he doesn't he doesn't need to be changing the system so much. We can, you know, not being funny, we've had five years of pretty terrible football at Old Trafford and pretty terrible results. I think all of us would be willing to go half a season of getting pretty mediocre results if it meant that we saw some progress in implementing a system and implementing a formation that everyone could fit into. Yeah, definitely. And I think I think the good thing about the fact, obviously we, we it would have been nice to carry on after this with some momentum, but I think with the international break, it allows Mourinho not, not have time working with players because most of them are on international duty, but have time to really think about what the system is going to be after United come back from the international break. One thing though, Paul Pogba, like everyone else, was poor in the first half, but second half was a a truly dominating display from a a very deep role, a proper number six role, but not, he he played that number six deep role, but at the same time added so much in attack. So got the assist for Anthony Martial's goal with with an outrageous back heel flick um, and then held the ball up brilliantly so he could lay it off for Young, who then crossed in for Sanchez for the third goal. He was he kind of did everything in that second half, and I want to whip out some some more stats. Pogba for United this season compared to his United teammates: most passes, most shots, most tackles, most take-ons, most assists, most chances created. And under Mourinho, Pogba has been directly involved in more Premier League goals for United than any other player at the club, with thirteen goals and sixteen assists. And I think. Newcastle second half was was Pogba at his best. It was it was a simple Pogba doing the the simple things to an astonishingly high level, and then the little moments of genius like the back heel flick to to set up Martial's goal. Yeah, I think it's important that you know we we're talking so much about the negative part of the, of the game, but it is important we acknowledge how well we did in the second half. Um, and yeah, Pogba 
really was the driving force behind behind all of that. That second half performance might be, along with maybe the performance at the Etihad last season, might be the best 45 minutes Pogba has had in a United shirt for me. He did everything. He, his position sort of officially was centre-back, but he played in a, in a number six role. He played as a number eight, a number ten. He was almost playing as a striker for um, in the build-up to Sanchez's uh, goal. He was just all o- all over the pitch. Um, the amount of ground he covered was absolutely crazy, and his composure on the ball, his vision was just sublime throughout the second half. The flick for Martial's goal was world class. I don't think there's many players in the world that would have had the foresight to to do that. And a ball that was bouncing right at his feet that was not easy to control as well was involved in the second and the third goal. And I think, I mean, yet again, it goes to show how important he is to us that when when Pogba's on form and firing, then we are a completely different side. It was a great performance from him. I don't just want to single him out though. Um, Martial, I thought, was also very, very good. And I think he should get a run of games now, um, particularly because he's shown probably out of our forwards... Him and Rashford had been the ones who had, who had shown the most. Um, Rashford obviously didn't have a great game against Newcastle and got subbed relatively early. But I think Martial's done enough to warrant a run of games. Um, you know, Mourinho obviously seems to have acknowledged now how bad Alexis's form has been after dropping him again for, for this one, although he obviously ended up popping up with the goal, which will probably mean he will start for the next five games. Um, but yeah, I think Martial has done enough to warrant a start. It was a very, very good performance going forward um, in the second half. The only the only worrying thing, again, is um, the form of Lukaku, as we've said. Um, and I still think he, need, he needs a rest. He deserves to be dropped. Not just because he needs a rest, because his form doesn't warrant him getting a place in, in, the, in the starting eleven. Definitely positive signs in the second half. But you have to wonder that is the reason that we played so well in the second half because we almost just seem to abandon any any form of Mourinho's tactics and it was just do whatever it takes and ultimately the players pulled through but it seemed to be despite rather than because of Mourinho in a lot of ways oh, Mourinho deserves some credit for being yeah. willing to change things up so so much so early on in the second half because I think it ended up helping that we tired Newcastle out so yeah. much just the constant attacks but it is telling that we seem to play our best when we're not really confined by any attempts by Mourinho to sort of put a system in place which is worrying yeah I think that's fair and there's there's some suggestion that Mourinho asked his players whether they had any suggestions in in the dressing room at half time but I think Mourinho should be given credit a for reacting quickly taking Bailly off and bringing Matter on uh, b for taking McTominay off at half time and kind of not not waiting till the till the hour mark to kind of make some changes because I think that that was actually really important because Newcastle yeah. never really they they probably should have had a penalty at one point they could have taken it to three 0 but after half time then it was it was all United and there was no kind of spell where Newcastle could have got back into the game. Um, yeah, I think that there are, there are big positives from Saturday and it's given Mourinho a lifeline and a hope a chance for him to think should I be shaking things up? Not shaking things up in terms of how, how he's done so so far, which kind of these random 3 etc. But sitting down over the international break and thinking, this is my formation going forward. This is my system. This is who I'll be playing. And I'm going to stick with it. But he won't be sitting down with, with Rui Faria. And there was a, an interesting piece, obviously, the former United assistant manager now, 
um, having left in the summer. And he, he apparently tipped for the Aston Villa job, Aston Villa manager's job after uh, Ex United play. Steve Bruce was sacked. But an interesting piece from from James Ducker, I think before the, the Newcastle game, actually, um, about Ruth Rhea and, and how he's been missed at United and how he kind of he provided that buffer between Mourinho and the players in a way that Michael Carrick and, and Kieran McKenna can't do because a they are not they don't have they don't share the same relationship with Mourinho and they haven't worked with him as long but also Carrick is kind of just come out from being a player and McKenna is the same age as, as some of the United players and is relatively new to to such a senior role and Faria did provide that kind of buffer. And one, Ducker writes in the Telegraph that one source says, um, more than ever, you don't know which Mourinho are going to get from day to day. And that United kind of coaches and people inside the training ground are thinking that without Faria Mourinho's kind of mood swings are much more frequent. And a lot of the staff and players kind of feel the, that Faria leaving have has left them without anyone who can control Mourinho and kind of rein him in when he's having one of his his grumpy periods and, and there's no one to approach to kind of suggest ideas to or make complaints that he can then pass on to Mourinho. And it's, it's an interesting thing. A lot of people fit, apparently feel at United that if Faria hadn't gone, then the, the lurch this season, the third season syndrome and the terrible start probably wouldn't have been as extreme. And it, it's true that United have been very stable in some ways in the fact that... Um, most of the players in the in the club now have been here for quite a while and only Fred was a major summer signing but also Mourinho's trusted assistant of 17 years has left and kind of left a hole for him at United and also left a hole for the players and the other staff. Yeah, I thought that article was really, really interesting as a way of getting some kind of insight into what it is like being around Mourinho, I guess. And, and the influence that Rui Ferreira obviously played in almost keeping Mourinho in, in check, for, for want of a, be- of a better phrase. Because I, I think it did kind of seem like that at times, where Mourinho was almost ready to combust all day, every day, and Faria was sort of there as someone who was so close to Mourinho that Mourinho trusted him enough so that Faria was able to kind of not criticise Mourinho, but sort of guide him in, in the right way. Whereas I feel like, obviously not like I, I know Mourinho, I've spent any time with Mourinho, but from what I, I know about him, it seems like, if if a player or another coach that he maybe doesn't know quite so well um, tried to sort of influence Mourinho in that way, he would take it as like a personal attack. And it does seem like his mood swings, especially with the media, have got a lot worse since Faria has left. Um, whether that's just a, a product of, of the situation of, of the club in terms of the form and frustrations in, in the transfer market, it, it might just be purely down to that rather than anything to do with um, Faria leaving. But it definitely does seem like there's been some kind of shift since Faria left. I hope that, you know, if Faria does end up uh, getting the Villa job, I, I wish him all the best. I hope he does well, because I, I think he does deserve a shot as a manager now after being such a good assistant to Mourinho for so long. But it does concern me slightly going forward, especially if Mourinho is going to be here for quite a lot longer. Um, it is obviously a concern that he seems to be so affected by whatever mood he's in. He's in it at whatever time. Um, and obviously he's now being investigated for supposed comments that he made in Portuguese after the game to the camera, um, which might end up with him getting banned. So yeah. it's going to be interesting to see what happens going forward. Hopefully, like you said, Carrick can can kind of be the one to step into that kind of Faria role. Yeah, one other interesting article during the week um, on the Glazers and their, their role at United by David Conn. Uh, worth a read if you if you haven't read it yet. 
Um, a good line where it said the the Glazers' takeover has now drained about one billion out of United since two thousand and five, and since two thousand eight, Sheikh Mansour has invested around one point three billion into Manchester City, and it, it gave some interesting figures. United released their their figures for the twenty seventeen eighteen financial year. David Conner kind of broke them down for for us or for anyone who was reading it. Um, and it, it revealed that we spent twenty four million paying off the Glazers' debt in the two thousand seventeen eighteen financial year. Uh, we then also paid out eighteen million to the six Glazer siblings, who collectively own ninety seven percent of United's voting shares. There was twenty three million paid out in twenty sixteen seventeen, and twenty million in twenty fifteen sixteen. Add to all of this the wages that the Glazers and the other directors or senior executives then get at the club. Not quite sure why the Glazers get wages for owning a club, but oh well. Um, so in 2017-18, that was 13 million. Uh, the year before, that was 12 million. And the year before, that was 11 million. And then finally, Red Football, the holding company of the Glazer family, sold 4.3 million shares in United for $17 a share a year or so ago, which rounds up to uh, what I assume for them is a, is a nice £56 million. So in the last three financial years, the Glazers have kind of taken or received... I think around 180 million pounds from United between them, uh, and that's that's also a few other directors and a few other executives as well. But the point remains. I mean, in that time, we refused to pay an extra five million for World Cup finalist Ivan Perisic, who scored 11 goals and made nine assists in Serie A last season. So there is the impact of the Glazers on United in, in recent years. For anyone that uh, wants to be frustrated on this fine Monday evening or Tuesday morning or Tuesday evening, whenever you're listening to to this podcast, uh, that I think I think we'll we'll stay off the Glazer topic for now. Um, just but- just to add one thing, it was really interesting to see the impact of the Glazers actually quantified for, as far as I can tell, pretty much the first time. Um, you know, we always talk about how terrible they're they're sort of doing at the club and how badly they're treating the club and how much money they're taking out. It was interesting to actually see it quantified for the first time. Uh, it's the first like pretty accurate figures that I've seen about it. It's definitely in the last few years. The Glazers obviously are generally yeah. very closed off about the de- their dealings with with United, and it was really interesting to see it, the way that it actually ends up playing out. None of it, unfortunately, really surprised me. Well, um, the, the, the thing is, it's it's slightly different from previous years. And I think that this year, I think they pay dividends out every three years. So this year, you kind of really got to see how much they were taking out. Whereas in the past few years, we haven't been able to see. It. I might be wrong on that, but I think that's what I read in the article. But yeah, it, it's and there was it was good to hear Jose's right. The board is shite. Um, signed by United fans. At Old Trafford because that's, I think that's probably it, my my chant of the year. I think it's it's the most accurate because it doesn't it doesn't say anything about Mourinho's faults because we know there are many, but he is right. The board are shite, um, and there's there's no denying that. And uh, interesting thing, we should now, just we should just stop doing this podcast and every week just have that just playing <laughs> on loop because that pretty much sums up what, what we're going to say. But yeah, but the interesting thing is that. You now get rival fans, even of even of the big clubs, not City and Liverpool or, or Chelsea, but some Arsenal fans, some Spurs fans, some Everton fans who look at United and think, "I do feel sorry for their fans because of not because of Mourinho, not because of bad results, but because of the way the club is run." And I think once you get into that point, you know that you have got some bad owners. Anyway, I think especially we- Arsenal fans. Cause I think they've they've gone through a lot of exactly what we're going through right now, where you have yeah. a manager who, all right, maybe isn't. At his best, but is still definitely capable of achieving some really good results. 
And you, then you have owners who just don't really care about what goes on on the pitch as long as the revenue keeps keeps coming in. Yeah. Anyway, we must move on. We've been talking for, for a long time. So, youth update. United's under-18s beat Newcastle 3-0 at the weekend thanks to a double from Ethan Galbraith and one from Aliou Traore. Uh, two midfielders scoring there. Neil Ryan's side probably could have gone on to score even more, but didn't score at all in the second half. Ethan Laird has signed his first professional contract to Man United. He's one of the most consistent players you'll see at under-18 level, and not consistent in a kind of boring James Milner way, although James Milner's been given a lot of praise in, in, in the recent year or so, but in a in a 7 out of 10 performance at least every week, and often in the, the top three performers in the United side. Internationally, Dylan Levitt's been called up for the Welsh under-19 squad. Ollie Denham and Eastern Hughes will play for the under-17 for Wales. And for England, Dean Henderson is in the under-21 squad. Angel Gomez in the under-19 side. Laird, Jimmy Garner and Mason Greenwood are all in the under-18 squad. And finally, Teden Mengi at under-17 level. Polish defender Lukasz Beja will play for his country's under-17 side during the international break. In low news, Joel Pereira kept a clean sheet in Vitoria's 3-0 win at the weekend in the Portuguese Liga. Dean Henderson kept two clean sheets in games against Blackburn and Hull in the Championship for informed Sheffield United. Kieran O'Hara played twice in goal for Macclesfield during the week in League 2, while Demi Mitchell was in action for Hearts in a 3-1 defeat against Rangers. Hearts still top of the Premiership in Scotland, though. Axel Twanzebe played both matches in full for Aston Villa against Preston and Millwall and Cameron Borthwick-Jackson had a great week scoring twice and being named man of the match once in games for Scunthorpe United against Charlton and Luton in League One. Matty Willick, Timothy Fossumensa and James Wilson weren't in their respective squads uh, at the weekend and in midweek Fossumensa and Wilson are both injured. Now, no match to preview uh, this week so in two minutes since we've been speaking for rather a long time. What do we want to see change after the international break? Very briefly, I would say the mood, some consistency in formation and personnel, but mainly the the mood from Mourinho. And let's just avoid confrontation. Let's stop players speaking to the media when it's not necessary. Just keep things from being public I think the biggest thing I want I want to go five days without seeing Mourinho in the news or even United in the news that would be perfect like you said <laughs> keep everyone away from the media um, but yeah. on, a, on a serious note I think the thing for me is is just about the mood from the club Mourinho looking a bit more upbeat um, and yeah tr- just starting to see some progress uh, re- realistically that that's all I ever want I want to see us making progress and that's why I was kind of satisfied last season with, although it maybe wasn't as good in the end as we as we hoped it might be, I was sort of satisfied with our season because it seemed like we were making progress and moving forward. And that's what I want to see again. I want to see us start hopefully implementing a system, um, getting our best 11 sorted out and getting the players to a point where they know what exactly their role is every single week. So... Obviously, there's not all that can't all, all happen overnight, but um, that's what I want to see us start to work towards. Yeah, I think the main thing is is the mood, and and yeah, it's just everything has been so public. It really has been like a soap opera so far this season, and I mean you expect that from Mourinho, and to be honest, you expect that from certain players in the United side like Pogba as well. But just for a week, it would be nice to have some peace. And I think that's why it's kind of good, even though we won't have the momentum as much that we have an international break after this, because things can just quieten down a bit. We can all relax. And we've gone into the international break with the fan supporting the manager, 
with the manager supporting his players, with the players having performed well, having been happy with a comeback against Newcastle. And things can just quieten down a bit and we can come back and hopefully get a win. But as we've said earlier in the podcast, we're not that confident that this can, can prove to be a turning point. But that's all we have time for on Series 4, Episode 8, I think it is, of the Manchester United Weekly Podcast. Thank you, as always, for listening. Um, bit of a long one this week, but that doesn't matter because quite a lot to talk about and any kind of additional glazer bashing is always welcome on the Manchester United Weekly Podcast, so we have to get it in there at the end there. Um, <laughs> if for, more, for more from Jack during the international break, um, if you want to follow other sports, I know Jack's a fan of, of various other American sports, um, where can we find you on Twitter? At GlazerBasher64. No, I'm kidding. Uh, at UTD Tate, T A I T. And you can find me on Twitter at, at HarryRobinson64 and the podcast itself at, at UTD Weekly Pod. That's P O D at the end there. If you've got any questions during the international break, send them over to any of our Twitter accounts. And if you've got any questions for the next episode, make sure you send them the same place. Um, or you can email us at mufcweeklypod at gmail.com. I think it is, but I could be wrong on that because I haven't used that email for about a year. But I will check it now <laughs> in case any of you decide to email in a question or, or I mean, feel free to email in a lengthy letter of complaint about the Glazers. We will happily read that out. So thank you as always for listening. Have a great week. Goodbye. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.